Hello, welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast for the Manchester Evening News, a bumper podcast this week, even though United haven't been playing. There's still been plenty of action. Of course, we'll cover the FA Youth Cup triumph in midweek. We'll address the Frankie Jong interest. We'll look at all the other sort of ongoings and rumours around the club as well. I'm joined this week by Samuel Luckhurst. Hello, Rich. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. And I'm joined by Tyrone Marshall. Good afternoon, Rich. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, so I guess where to start? Like I said, we'll get onto the Youth Cup later in the podcast, but Samuel, you've done the line today um, on director John Murter being at the Tottenham versus Arsenal game and also, earlier in the day, meeting Eric Ten Hag for this meeting in Amsterdam. Um, what is the latest? Yes, he, he flew back to London yesterday and... I'm pretty sure he, I think he had recruitment meetings yesterday and he might be having some as well today. So that's why he's he's been down in London. He's got the time to do it as well, given that United haven't got a game this week. Um, I mean, I did actually speak to him very, very briefly on, on Wednesday night at the Youth Cup game. Not, nothing, nothing in depth at all. We were just fortunate to be pitch side post-match and... It was a you know, congratulations, and he was, he was extremely pleased to have, um, to have seen the youth team do as well as they have done. And I think a lot of people at United are just very keen to to draw a line under this season now, even though there's still one game left and it's still unclear whether they'll be in the Europa League next season or the Europa Conference League. The, the emphasis is now very much on next season. I don't for one minute think that he was going to the Tottenham game to necessarily scout a Spurs player. I mean, I, I think it would be inadvisable for United to be targeting Harry Kane this year anyway, but you, you don't really need to see Harry Kane in person at this stage to know whether he's he's worth signing or not. That, that uh, conclusion should have um, come in about five or six years ago. I suppose there are maybe one or two players you could say, well, maybe, maybe that would be a go, maybe it wouldn't be. But I, I think he was just there, uh, from what I gather, as, as a guest of someone. And he was in London, so he wanted to take in the game. Uh, as, as a friend messaged me, maybe he was down there to, to, to scout Conte, because obviously he was a, <laughs> looks a pretty good option for United <laughs> earlier this season. But, but that ship has sailed. So United are being proactive. It, it, it is easier now that, that Ten Hag has got the... Has, has won the Dutch title with Ajax. Ajax still have one game left on Sunday, but that's that's a, a non-event now. That will just be a, a farewell to Ten Hag. You would like to think that Ten Hag, there'll be something that happens next week, um, given that I think next week is when he officially is is the new United manager or there or thereabouts because his Ajax contract will have all but expired at that point. It was interesting to see someone from from MUTV uh, did go over to Amsterdam this week. I'm still not sure if that was there to conduct an MUTV interview for the club, but they were present for uh, Ajax's win against Heerenveen when when they won the title. So maybe the club are gearing up for something more, um, a more formal introduction to Ten Hag, given that as of Sunday, he's pretty much not the Ajax manager anymore. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, isn't it, to see how that all unfolds in the weeks ahead. And Ty, you almost thought that United might be releasing double winning T-shirts on Wednesday night when Ajax won the Eredivisie and they won the, <laughs> the Youth Cup. It wouldn't, wouldn't put it past them. But yeah, in terms of these uh, these recruitment meetings then, I mean, what, what, what are you expecting there? Do you think they're going to be really narrowing down this list and establishing those, those key players? Because I guess that's been what, what was so important for United in getting Ten Hag in before the end of the season was so they can get the, the groundwork in place ahead of the window opening this summer. 
Yeah, you know, I think I think so. They need they need to be on the ball with recruitment because, as we said before, they need a lot of players. Probably not the ten that Ranić suggested the other week, but four or five you'd think are, are an absolute necessity, and it takes time. I mean, most clubs will be working on summer signings already and, and know who they want to target. So United needs to be in that position of narrowing down targets, of knowing who they're going for and, and what positions they're going for. So it makes sense to be to be getting those meetings in the diary. Um, I mean, it shows it shows good strategic planning that they are doing it the day after Ten Hag's main goal at Ajax has been achieved. You know, it, it shows willing on both sides really that they know what's got to happen. Um, Samuel's right, it would make an awful lot of sense for Ten Hag to be in Manchester at some point next week. There's there's bound to be some kind of sit-down with Ranić, you would have thought, and, and some kind of debrief at some point. Next week is is probably the ideal slash only time to do it, given that the week after the Palace game, Austria have got matches, and presumably Ranić could be in charge for those. So his focus will be shifting pretty quickly to, to Austria. So it would make sense. For, for something to happen next week and, and for Tenag to, to be over and perhaps starting meeting players next week. There's with the way United season has gone, there's no reason he can't come over next week, even if it's a, a minor distraction. I mean, so what? It's you know, it's it's the last game to complete irrelevance. So there'd be there'd be no harm in him being there, maybe observing training, meeting players, that sort of thing, and just trying to trying to get ahead. There's there's no point in him, you know, I, I think the original, someone asked a few weeks ago of, of United, is he going to start on July the 1st, which is normally sort of when you get the, the changeover in summer, contracts expire at the end of June, people start at the start of July, at the 1st of July, sort of free transfers and things like that. But, you know, United need him in post ASAP. And the word has always been, I think, that he's going to start in June at some point. He's obviously going to have a holiday, but it, it needs to be that he's, he's on the ground and, and getting the ball moving quickly, because as we said, there's a lot to do. The season ends on the 22nd. They'll be back at the start of July for, for pre-season training. So you're talking a five, five and a half week um, summer period, which is not much at all, back in for pre-season. Then on tour on the 8th. And United are probably going to want two or three new faces by then, really. Every manager wants wants players at the start of pre-season. It's not easily achieved. But when you've got the amount to do that United have got to do, you'd probably like a couple in the door at least by, by July the 8th. Yeah, exactly. And of course, they need to start playing like said, for the season. It starts well in advance and there's a lot of work for Ten Hag to do. Samuel, at these recruitment meetings as well, it's believed that you know, Steve McLaren, Mitchell van der Gaag were, were present as well. What is the latest on Ten Hag's sort of recruitment for his backroom staff and the sort of makeup? It does sound like he obviously wants someone who has experience maybe of how the club works, the politics that go along with it, uh, someone that he can rely on and someone who, like we said, already understands how things function at Old Trafford. Well, I was off yesterday. You, you two can can answer that one if you want to. Um, I think Ty did the story a few weeks ago that um, Van der Gaag was was going to be coming over with with Ten Hag, with the McLaren staff. It's it's interesting that he gave an interview not six weeks ago, seven weeks ago to to Sam Wallace and said how Ten Hag reminded him of Ferguson, and then lo and behold, he looks like he's going to be joining Ten Hag's backroom staff. Um, the, the McLaren ones are. I mean, I find it quite strange in, in that clearly Ten Hag wants someone who knows the place and is is familiar with working at United. But McLaren became well, this, <laughs> this is where this is leading to as well. Um, Ferguson hired McLaren in February 99 and he left to become Middlesbrough's manager in May 2001. So he was at the club for two years and, and three months. And his 
I mean, looking at his coaching CV, he, he he's managed some clubs. I forgot he, he'd even managed. I just about remembered him managing at Nottingham Forest because he wore Brian Clough's green jumper to try and... I, I don't know what to achieve, but I think that might have been his shortest stint in management. But I completely forgotten that he managed QPR very briefly. Obviously, what he did at Twente was 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 laudable, winning the Dutch title, but but that was a long time ago. His his coaching career has never really recovered from what happened with England and, and failing to qualify for for Euro two thousand eight. He did a really good job at at Middlesbrough, but in in recent years he was I think he was the technical director at Derby. He had some administrative role at, at Maccabi Haifa. When we flew to, uh, I believe it was Zurich in September for the game against um, young boys in Bern, because obviously we had to fly to Zurich and it was a train to Bern. McLaren was on our flight and some United supporters spotted him and just started talking to him and asked him if he was over for the game. And he said, oh, who are they playing? He, he didn't know who United were playing. Now, he's not exactly obliged to know who United are playing, but it's it's a pretty extraordinary about turn that that was in September. Not an about turn, but a ex- pretty extraordinary um, consequence of events that he's gone from that to not knowing who they're playing to now joining the backroom staff, effectively. I, I'd be very concerned if he was having some kind of coaching role. And really, in, in terms of a sounding board, if he, if he was to be a sounding board for Ten Hag, I can't really see the logic of that. And it does feel like the kind of appointment that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer would have tried to make when he was very intent on just you know, uh, re- rewinding to the past and trying to channel the, uh, the the spirit of Sir Alex Ferguson with this jobs for the boys culture that really did not work. I mean, Ty interviewed Mick Clegg for his book recently. And I think in a separate interview, he said that Solskjaer even approached him to see if he wanted to come back. And I think the last time McLaren was was at Old Trafford was for the treble reunion match three years ago. So he does feel more, more of a Solskjaer appointment than a Ten Hag appointment. But of course, there is an association there from when Ten Hag was his assistant at 20. Uh, I, I would you know, McLaren was was ahead of his time with his coaching when when he did go um, when he did join United. But you're going back to, I mean, I was I was 11 at the time or just about to turn 11. So that's that's how moot it is really um, to to say you know to to really speak about merits of bringing someone back to the club whose association with United was was quite fleeting, but took in an incredibly successful period of the treble and and, and two more titles. But it's pretty irrelevant. If, if he's been brought on to, to offer Ten Hag advice, I really question that because McLaren's just not, he's not had his ear to the ground necessarily. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately for him, in, in in the internet age, he seems to have become a bit of a, a meme or a joke figure with with football followers of a certain persuasion, whether it was the, uh, you know, him affecting inexplicably a Dutch accent in an interview, or I think he was on Sky Sports News when England lost to Iceland and he was saying how well England are fine here, even though it's 1-1, yeah. and then before his eyes, they go 2-1 down. So unfortunately, he's gone viral for the wrong reasons in, in this viral age online. So it's, it is a peculiar appointment, but maybe you know once clarity comes to light as to what his role will be and when ten hag is you know given the chance to actually amplify on his reasons for bringing mclaren in it will it'll be clear to us why why he is coming in but the way it's going you might as well you might as well hire one of us really if you want 
advice or someone to consult on why everything has gone so badly wrong in recent years because we've had our ears to the closer to the ground than than Steve McLaren has. Ty, in terms of that, then, do you think it? I mean, we keep on saying that you know United need this clean slate. They need these fresh opinions, fresh angles, and Ten Hag needs to come in. He needs to be ruthless. He needs to overhaul everything. Does it then? Is it not a bit of a contradiction then that he does want someone who understands how the club works, who might have some sort of inside knowledge? Like we said, McLaren might not be able to offer much of that because he's not had an association recently with the club anyway. But surely, part of the this rebuild is that you have people coming in with outside opinions who aren't sort of favourable with the club and who don't already have connections there. You need to have this sort of ruthless, um, sort of third party look at it. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. But for whatever reason, Ten Hag seemingly wants McLaren. And I guess if he if he really wants him, then at some point the, the club have either got to say no or or give in and give him what he wants, which is is the way it's going. I mean, there there is a certain irony here that they were happy for Solskjaer to, to get the band back together and get as many old boys in position as possible. And now they want to move on with Ten Hag. It, it's Ten Hag who actually wants a United old boy alongside him. And, and like we say, there's no... You know, there's no real connection there in in terms of, of recent work. And I mean, they worked together at twenty, which is something says was it was a decade ago, basically. Um, so it, it does feel a little bit unusual why why Ten Hag would be so keen to to have him on board when when he's obviously moved on from him. I mean, it sounds. I, I think you know part of us is, is is doubting it because of the whole Mike Phelan thing and the fact that he's just he's just offered so little. It does sound a very similar role. I guess McLaren is, is slightly more in touch with the modern United than Phelan was um, when he was appointed, although not by much. Um, you know, he's, I guess he's a sounding board to, to the Premier League and things like that. But I don't know. I mean, it feels like that's that's overblown at times. The, the Premier League is a little bit different, but, you know, the rules are the same, aren't they? And I'm sure Ten Hag's watched, watched the Premier League. Um, you know, I'm not sure Klopp or, or Guardiola saw a need to, to have old boys in their staff just to explain the Premier League to them. So it does it does seem an, a, a strange appointment. Well, like we say, he's got a number two. Um, I guess there's you know, there's going to be a big turnover in staff this year because the the, the coaches Solskjaer recruited have mostly left. The staff Ranić have recruited are going to leave. So there is going to be a lot of spaces to fill there. So having McLaren as, as a sounding board or, or someone to help out or advise on on coaches and who to appoint, I guess, might help. But, yeah, it doesn't seem a, a particularly forward-thinking appointment. But, like you say, Ted Hag will obviously have his reasons. It would be interesting to hear what they are because he doesn't, you know, McLaren doesn't feel particularly relevant. I, there's no other Premier League club, I think, that would appoint Steve McLaren into a, a coaching role at the moment, only United. So, it, it when, when Ted Hag does his first press conference, I'm sure McLaren's name will come up and it would be interesting to hear exactly what the the thought process is behind it. Yeah, well, no other Premier League club would have appointed Ralph Rannick either on a caretaker basis, (laughs) probably, would they? So maybe you you have to ask why these are being repeated already. But like you said, there's nuance to it and you've got to understand of there's got to be clarity, hasn't there, from Ten Hag's point of view of what he's coming into, what his specific role is, and you can't write him off before he starts already. Um, Samuel, in terms of transfers then, as we said, there's a recruitment meeting and we understand, as you reported earlier in the week, that United are weighing up a possible deal for Barcelona midfielder Frankie de Jong. I believe Ten Hag's been in contact with his agent as well. United certainly need at least a midfielder, you'd say two preferably, this summer. 
De Jong, not maybe the answer to the sort of defensive midfield issues United have, but certainly a player who will appeal to many fans. What is the latest on his future? It, it did dismay me that during the uh, jubilation of the Youth Cup win on Wednesday night, I, I just had a little, a very brief look in at how how pleased and happy United supporters were in, in reply to one tweet. And unfortunately, almost every reply just went along the lines of De Jong news. What about De Jong? De Jong news. No, no pleases. Almost all of them with pseudonyms hiding behind Ten Hag avatars. There aren't as many Anthony Marshall avatars these days, unsurprisingly. So that's that's some progress there. Uh, but that's that's just the the, the way it works, really. Um, I mean, the, the original report was um, was was sensationalised, but that's nothing new with. Uh, some of the partisan press who cover Barcelona or Real Madrid, that those that those correspondents are more than happy to do the club's bidding. But from what I gather, even Barcelona were briefing to more um, more faithful journalists that, that, as far as De Jong's future was concerned, it wasn't as far along as this particular journalist has suggested that a deal was imminent. Um, independently i was i was told uh, by a source that, that there was there'd been some movement with de jong and that's why the story went the following morning uh, united haven't uh, you know they've, they've not killed the story normally if the, if the player is linked with united um they they're pretty good at clarifying uh, if if there's no interest in the player but they've not done that in this case and that they'd be pretty stupid to do it as well it's it's an interesting one in the if, if Ten Hag, I know it's an obvious thing to say, but if Ten Hag isn't the United manager, the, the very mention of De Jong and United, you just refuse to believe. It, it doesn't feel, it just feels like an absolute non-starter. And if they do somehow sign him, it will only be because of Ten Hag. Uh, he, De Jong only signed for Barcelona three years ago. Uh, his, his contract there runs until 2026. He probably imagined when he signed for Barcelona that he would be there for the majority of his career, that he'd spend his peak years there. But because of the financial disarray they're, they're in, there are certain players they need to move on. And given you know their, their um, propensity uh, for developing players from La Masia, they've already got Pedri now and they've got Gary as well, who is already in the Spain squad, this 17-year-old sensation, I think he is. Um so De Jong, who was the future three years ago, is, is starting to look like the past. So there is there is the key context there because again, a, another friend who's a season ticket holder said that you know, De Jong reminds him of, of Di Maria um, in that it's it's one of the big two in Spain trying to get rid of a player, and here come Man United more than happy to take take the player off their hands. But the difference with Di Maria was that United knew they were signing someone who didn't want to sign for them. He wanted to sign for PSG, but because of the financial fair play issues at the time um, that, that PSG had to contend with, they couldn't go for him. So United had a free run at Di Maria. It didn't work out. He ends up joining PSG the next year. With De Jong, United clearly hope that Ten Hag can convince him that there's there's something to that he would not be wasting his peak years at United because if you are De Jong, you really wouldn't blame him for for just staying in Barcelona and saying look as much as I like Ten Hag I'm I'm not playing under him at mm. that that show over there in Manchester because <laughs> they yo-yo between Champions League and Europa League they've not won anything in five years they've not won in a title for it will be at least ten years next year I don't think anybody's expecting even a challenge from United next season. 
Dion was just turned 25 this week. If he's signed his next contract, if he does indeed move, is going to be possibly the last big contract of his career. United would want him on a probably a five-year deal with the option for a plus one, so that takes him into his 30s. Look at recent players who, Paul Pogba as an example, he's probably looking at his six years at United and thinking, you know, I, I, I pretty much regret this or certainly regret spending the entirety of that time at United. So it, it's, a, it's a big decision for De Jong because Barcelona clearly are open to selling him because they need funds uh, because of this debt of... I think something like a billion, a billion pounds, uh, 1.2 billion euros. So he's he's an obvious player to to get rid of, even though he has played a lot this season. You look at his appearances in La Liga and he starts in almost every game. And w- when you've got Xavi coaching him, you think, well, why the hell would he be, why would Barcelona ever sell him? But I suppose where they have got two more that have come off the convey about at La Masia and because of the debt, and because there have been some deals made um, in recent years that haven't quite worked out, and also because of the identity of the club, and you saw under Louis van Gaal, when there were too many Dutch players there, uh, the Dutch players were the problem. And again, it feels like the you know, Barcelona fans that think there are maybe one or too many too, uh, too many Dutch players, but, but De Jong is a player who was completely aligned with just, just the ethos of Barcelona when they signed him, and he still is, but it's needs must. And I'd still be amazed that even if United, you know, say Dion wanted to leave, was was prepared to leave, why would another club not come in? I mean, there's so many clubs that could do with Dion and who would be improved by him. And why would you join United? Well, exactly. And there's that as well. If they somehow got him, it that would be a coup because that's them saying, look, we've had an absolutely disastrous season, but we have still got one of the one of the most creative midfielders in Europe, a player that Guardiola uh, would have loved in 2019. You could still make the case that City could find a room for Dion um, with, with Fernandinho going. You look at Gundogan, who's 31, you give him an even more deeper role and he's rotating with Rodri, perhaps, and Dion is one of the more um, advanced midfielders who comes in and operates similarly to De Bruyne. I mean, he's he, Dion, you look at him and you think he's a Guardiola player that could do a job at City. And if it's not City, you think of other teams across the continent who really should be in for, for De Jong. Bayern Munich is an obvious one that comes to mind, but I suppose a player of his ability, the Premier League, would be tempting. And if, if Ten Hag is telling you he wants you and he's telling you you're going to be the face of the new Man United to get them back to where they aspire to be, it's, it's still a pretty good sell. But there's an awful lot of risk attached to it um, because there's no there's, there's no guarantee whatsoever that Ten Hag is going to be a success. And say Ten Hag lasts a year or it goes disastrously wrong, then then De Jong is is isolated because if he does end up at United, it would only be because of Eric Ten Hag. Yeah, what could possibly go wrong? Eh? Uh, Ty, in terms of sort of a player, I mean, I classify Frankie De Jong is certainly a marquee signing this summer. Yeah. Obviously, we know that United that their budget's got to be affected on who stays, who goes, who they can they can shift, and the type of deals they can get rid of players. You might be able to get rid of someone on loan with a, pair, with a club paying a fee and all his wages. So there's so much mitigation, isn't there, towards this budget? But we know United needs a lot of players. Maybe not as many as Ranick's saying. Do you see any sense in spending such a what would have to be a huge sum you'd expect Frankie De Jong? these sort of maybe 70, 80 million pounds anyway on one player. Do you think that's actually worth doing this summer? Or do you think United just almost need quantity 
over quality in terms of they need five or six rather than two or three really special players. I I mean I would go with I I would go with two or three special players to be honest. I think if you're spreading it, if you're going for quantity over quality, then you're looking at third or fourth choice targets, and you might be developing a squad that can get you back to fourth. But you get that you'll get there, and then realise that you need a squad that can win the league and. The ambition of United has to be to win the league. And if that means signing, um, say, three players this summer, say they sign a midfielder, another forward and a centre-back, then I think there's, you know, I think there's the sense in that, OK, there'll be holes in the squad next year. There'll be players still there who who aren't good enough. But if you're improving the quality of the first 11, then it, it might take say, three, four windows to, to build a, a team that's good enough. But that has got to be the ultimate aim. And it is, I mean, I wrote a piece on this yesterday, and it, it is a really difficult balancing act for United, whether they look to spread out whatever they've got to spend. You know, say they've got 200 million to spend and they want five or six players. Do you spread it out? I mean, 200 million is probably on the high side, given they've never spent that before in a window when they've got no Champions League football. But, you know, say it's 150 million. Do you spread it out on five or six players? Because... Like I say, you'll sign you'll sign an improvement because it'd be hard not to with this squad. But the aim has got to be to get to 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 win in the league, and you need to sign players that that are good enough to win the league. And if you're signing players that can get you back to fourth and get you back above Tottenham or Arsenal, that's fine. But then you've got to find a way to take that another step. And and in the end, it might just be more expensive. So potentially, I'd look at signing just if it came to it, and you could get someone like De Jong. Um, for that sort of thing, and you get a striker that's going to cost 70, 80 million, but but you know is is for the future and can add to the team this year and take over from Ronaldo. Then I think they are deals worth doing. And the hardest part this year is, you know, Samuel touched on it. There is going to be, in a way, the biggest role throughout this summer is going to be to Darren Fletcher, whose whose job we're told now is basically to sell the club to players. I mean, he's going to have to be a hell of a salesman because. He's got to be like a rep, isn't he, on holiday on on the streets trying to oh, get people to be, in. Yeah, it's going to have to be eighteen an eighteen thirties best rep of the year, and he to um to sell to sell this club to players because if you are targeting De Jong and he says, well, "All right, I'm interested," and I'm like, right, we'll get you in front of Darren Fletcher. You know, he needs to be because you're selling you're selling the promise of jam tomorrow, basically at United, aren't you? Because no one's signing to play in the Europa League, the Europa Conference League next year. You're signing for a project and the promise that. It's one year outside the Champions League. We will get back. We will be winning the league within three years. And, you know, the, the team that eventually wins the league will be heroes. That's what you, you, you're selling. But we've heard those sales pitches before and, and they've not worked. So the the problem is going to be targeting those, those or convincing those elite players that it is a club worth joining for the long term. Exactly. I mean, I guess it is a no, isn't it? That United do actually tend to spend more money when they're out of the Champions League anyway. They always spend more to try and get back yeah. in. Of course, the Pogba deal came when they were having a great season in the Europa League. You look back to the £145 million summer with Dan James, Juan Bissaka and Harry Maguire. That was a that well. Europa League season. <laughs> well, yeah. um, Samuel, in terms of the midfield situation then, Frankie Jung, a deal for him, a possible deal for him, would that impact the Calvin Phillips potential deal either, or would they be two separate deals that could could take place? Well, that, that's a lot of money that you'd be investing in both of them. With with Phillips, if if leads go down, then even account for parachute payments, I think that becomes a more doable deal. But uh, Leeds have have been hopeful that they could get one more year out of Phillips. But if they go down, then you'd think that that hope probably dies with their Premier League status. It, it makes sense to want. 
two midfielders, one defensive-minded, one more um, controlling. I mean, how how Ten Hag assembles that midfield, I think, is going to be unrecognisable from what we've seen from United this season and in previous seasons as well. I would I would say that it's safe that the, the McTominay Fred axis that has probably been unfairly derided to a certain extent will not be getting as much airtime next season, even though Fred has been one of the few outfield players who's had a, a creditable season and, and certainly has improved under Rangnick as well. But there's there's nothing really new to to report on Phillips. Uh, unsurprisingly, I think with the I mean, the state of Leeds at the moment, he's probably quite preoccupied with that. His his commitment to Leeds is is unquestionable um, so far, in that he's he's been there for his whole career. If if they go down, that is gonna it's gonna hurt him a hell of a lot, especially given just how how sudden the plight has been. I think when Marsh. Jesse Marsh took over. You thought that there was there was a minor bounce, not a great bounce, but enough that you thought that they were out of trouble. But when you start quoting Mother Teresa and Gandhi, when as far as Leeds United are concerned, if you if you were to quote a historical figure, I think Attila the Hun is more appropriate where where Leeds are concerned. Uh, you are onto a hiding, and then guess what? They <laughs> they get battered three nil and. Um, your, your your surrogate son Daniel James got sent off, Rich, as well. Unfortunately, I mean, too much passion. Rich, Rich was Rich was. I don't know what hurt Rich more on Wednesday night. It was the um, whether it was the the national anthem being played, the English national anthem, or or Daniel James getting sent off. It it, it was not not a good start to his evening in the press box. Uh, but given the amount of midfields United still have, despite Matic going, despite Pogba going, you'd still think they'd have to be. There'd have to be an outgoing there to to make room for for another midfielder, unless in the case of James Garner, perhaps if 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 Forest get promoted automatic, uh, not automatically, if they go up via the playoffs, there's a conversation to be had there whether he stays at Forest next season mm-hmm. on loan because he would be getting more regular uh, playing time in the Premier League and that that suits all parties i would i would argue if um, you know it's it's he's he's still got enough time to have a very good career at united some might look at his age and think well yeah the cutoff point is coming but certain midfielders they they mature a little bit older rather than you know i think up, if you're a striker if you're in a position to score goals and you're 17 or 18 you're more likely to have a more visible impact than the midfielder, whereas Garner is, you know, he's. It, I wouldn't say it's been a, sl- been a slow burn, but because he got quite a lot of exposure in 2019, certainly at the start of 2019-20, where he thought he might might play more often than not because of the situation in midfield. Uh, some might have thought he's, he's gone backwards with these loans, but I think it's almost as if they had to just reset his his situation there, and he's. He's he's been back on track ever since he switched clubs to Forest mid, midway through last season from Watford. Yeah, absolutely. I think given the preseason and then if he like you said, if Forest get promoted, it's more beneficial for him to play thirty odd games for them than play maybe ten or so, most of them off the bench for United next season in, in the Premier League. So, like you said, there's got to be these discussions had. And again, in terms of forward planning, it is complicated by not knowing how other te- which division other teams will be playing in next season. But Ty, the future was bright for United this week for, for one night only on Wednesday. There was a real feel-good atmosphere around Old Trafford, a record-breaking crowd for the FA Youth Cup final. Quite quite a slog. It was a very hard-fought competition between two sides, very evenly matched. United capitalised on some defensive errors and, and atrocious officiating decisions give them a penalty when it's clearly outside the box but 
it was a real lift, wasn't it, for United? It did feel like amid all these sort of storm clouds, there was a ray of light shining through and a bit of hope for United for the future and, and still the great work being done by their academy. Yeah, absolutely. There was, you know, people smiling in the stands and, and United players smiling on the pitch. It'll it'll never catch on. But for one night, it was it was nice to experience. And it, it was really, you know, it, like I say, it was a feel-good feel good night. I think it always is when you win the Youth Cup. But when you've got a crowd of 67,000 and the season's been as bad as it is, it, it certainly gave everyone a lift. Um, it was a great occasion. Like you say, it was a, a slog of a game. I was impressed with how good Forest were, and they posed a real physical threat. But you know, they were they were well set up as well. They had some creative midfield players, and they certainly deserved to be level, even though it was unfortunate circumstances from United. But United had sort of got more control of the game in the last twenty minutes, half an hour or so. It didn't really look like a goal was coming until that that dubious penalty. But it was you know there, there probably wasn't a great deal in the game by the end of it, and it was. You know, it was fitting that United won it, given the given the crowd and the occasion and the circumstances, and it was just a really, a really positive feel good night for for the players and the supporters. I mean, you could tell how much fun the players were having. I think there was you know there was someone whipping up the crowd pretty much every five minutes. It was, you know, you could tell what an experience it was for them and and how they sort of pick up these these habits from from senior players. The, the in the second half, the Stratford end was getting whipped up every time the ball was. The ball was near them, really. But yeah, it was, you know, it was a really enjoyable night for everyone, I think. Samuel, in terms of the players then who you were impressed by all the night, I mean, Garnacho is the obvious one, isn't he? But there are a few other good performances as well. Well, as you said, um, sitting next to me, out about Reese Bennett, and it's probably the best I've, I've seen him play live. He, he really did uh, rise to the occasion, not not just with the goal, but his, his reading of the game, how how secure he was. The, the game itself was a pretty poor spectacle. It's difficult to think of anything happening outside the the goals. And obviously one was a penalty, one was a court, one came from, sorry, a um, a free kick. There were two goalkeeping errors. The final goal was, was a big deflection as well. It, it was not a great high standard game, which is not particularly surprising when players that age they're, they're playing in front of such a huge crowd i think there's they're always there's always a chance they're not going to play their natural game it's a complete you know it's a complete culture shock from even the previous rounds of playing in front of a few a few thousand at old trafford but but bennett was was excellent um he, he reeked of champagne afterwards when he was brought out to to speak to us pitch side uh, Cobby Mainu I've, I've seen a few times now and something would have to go wrong for him not to have a very good career it's 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 quite striking how how looking at the United midfielders now how different they are from the previous team that won the youth cup in 2011 when you had uh, Ryan Tunnicliffe who was you know, pretty a pretty good midfielder at, at, at that stage obviously Pogba was very good um, Ravel Morrison played in front of them but it just, if anything, it just highlighted how football has evolved and that United have got these pocket dynamos like Barcelona had in La Masia uh, 10, 15 years ago. And they're, they're producing midfielders that way. And, and Maynou is very fleet of foot, very um, quick with the ball at his feet. He's always forward thinking, playing forward passes, uh, very creative. Dan Gore is, you know, is, is a good foil for him in midfield as well. Um, he was when we spoke to him afterwards. He because he's seventeen, he had a he had a can of I think it was apple apple pop or something like that. So the, the, he had to be kept away from the from the champagne for for legal reasons and and had a laugh about that. But 
it's it's a credit to them that at the start of the season, when you looked at the Youth Cup team, you wouldn't have necessarily said that's a team that can go all the way and, and win it. I think the Youth Cup teams in the last five years have probably been stronger than United's this season, but they have gone all the way and they have won it. And they've they've gone about it in a very impressive way. And, and it would have helped playing the previous games at Old Trafford, but still some of the players said that they were quite taken aback by by the sight of seeing all those supporters. And we, we did wonder whether you know, the footfall on the night, whether the, the crowd wouldn't be as high as, as United briefed in terms of the ticket sales. But in the end, it was. It was it was comfortably in excess of, of 60,000 who were present for it. And that, that just, again, reinforced how, how much United as a club and how much their supporters cherish the academy. And the academy has been the best thing about the club for, for a very, very long time. It's, it's run superbly well by, by Nick Cox. I think he's done a... A fabulous job since he came in, not not even three years ago. And and Nicky Butt laid sat, laid down some crucial groundwork before him, um, with with in terms of how how much more uh, proactive they were with recruitment. But you go back to that summer of twenty twenty and the players they recruited: Hugel, McNeil, Fernandez, Gerardo, uh, Garnacho that that was exceptional recruitment at the time and it's it's even more exceptional now but then you've got the the local lads that they've developed on top of that and it's a really good blend um that they've got going there and i suppose the only unfortunate thing is it, it always has to end these these teams they go up together but there comes to a point where uh, they're disbanded because that's that's the way the the game works and some of those players won't have as fulfilling a career in the game as others but there's there's a lot of potential in that team and it, it was as i said it was an encouraging night for united supporters and just for ourselves actually leaving the stadium not feeling completely drained was was refreshing to say the least yeah absolutely and it's just the maybe the task now is to go and do it at first team level as well like you said find that blend get the good appointments in place and you know what can happen it's, it's got to be a long process but we shall see tie then this weekend another Weekend about a game for United, the prospect of Liverpool winning the FA Cup, the prospect of City winning another game in the Premier League as well. And of course, interest maybe in that City game from the other point of view as well, that you know, if West Ham were to get a shock win, then they would go above United ahead of the final day of the season. Europa League still looks the most likely for United, but they could finish in the Conference League place. Do you think that that is much of a difference between the two competitions, the way it's viewed by United, or do you think they would? There wouldn't be too bothered between either of them, given that it's Thursday night football in a competition they don't really want to be in. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure there'd be too much difference, really. I mean, if you look at the two finals in the competitions this year, the, the Europa Conference League final is far better than the Europa League final. Um, you know, Roma final is a much better final than Rangers Eintracht Frankfurt in, in terms of quality. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not sure there's too much difference. I mean, even if City beat West Ham, you can see them swapping places on the final day if, if West Ham win at City. I think Samuel mentioned it earlier in the week, but I, I think United are really vulnerable going to Palace on the last day just because of this this 15-day gap without a fixture. It's their last game. You know, every, I mean the players have been on the beach for a month. They're gonna be, you know, they're gonna be knee deep in the waves by by Sunday. Um and like I said, there's always goals, there's always surprise results on the last day. Palace have had a great season. We'll want to sign off in style. It's going to be a festival atmosphere there it's always a good atmosphere at, at Sellers Park and if United turn up with the same approach they did at Brighton you can see them 
you can see them getting the pants pulled down again and losing by three or four. Um, as dispiriting as it is to, to actually believe that could happen against Crystal Palace, but that's the way it is. So you can still see them ending up in the Conference League, but you know, I'm, I'm not sure what the sort of financial disparity is between the two competitions. I can't imagine it's much. I don't think it really makes much difference. I suppose the Europa League is, is slightly more glamorous in the group stages, if that's even possible. But more glamorous. In terms, more glamorous. In terms of the final, you know, it's turned out that the Conference League has got the bigger final this year. And yeah, I don't I don't think it makes any difference to United which which of those Thursday night blockbusters they're in next year. No, another trophy for them to tick off the list, though, if they get in the Conference League. I'm sure that'll be a, one for an hour, yeah, though, isn't it? Yeah, that's one for the quarterly call. Um, thank you very much, Tyrone and Samuel, for joining us today on the Manchester is Red podcast. Thank you, Rich. Cheers, Rich. And thank you very much for listening, wherever you are in the world. As always, please do leave a like and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And we'll see you again next time. Bye.